anybody who's like going through the tough times of the end of your drinking career or using career, those last few years are just torture because you're just using more than you want. You want to quit and you can't. You're looking for ways to moderate that aren't working, right? It's just like you're in, you're in this freight train to the bottom. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back to the podcast for feral entrepreneurs. I like this word. It's like we can't be domesticated. (laughs) We are weird, but not too weird. We are freedom seekers. I think that's fair to say. Back in the good old days, we called it lifestyle businesses, especially just simplifying the idea of a lifestyle business. Yeah, yeah, you want to make money. But money's interplay with time is really the critical thing. And all those other currencies can kind of fit under time. Like, how do you want to make the money? How much work do you want to do? What are you willing to do and not to do in order to fund your lifestyle or build wealth? And, you know, when listeners ask me, hey, what's one of your favorite episodes? I want to dig back into the archive. Like, what's a really memorable episode for you? The previous episode with today's guest always jumps to the top of my mind because in it, we talked about a very what I thought was a very powerful idea, which is the power of under-optimization. And that episode was done with someone I'm friends with, I've known for many years, and is a long-term member of our community, the DC. And he's always had a very strong personal constitution about resisting the constant pressure to achieve more in your business. And to make sure that you're structuring your time in the way that is aligned with your values and your goals. And in case you're interested, we'll link up to that episode from 2015 in the show notes. And since it's been a while, and we're both currently in Chiang Mai, Thailand, I thought it would be a good moment to catch up with him for an update. All right. Your full name, what it is you do? My name is Mark Brenwall, and what it is that I do is hard for me to answer, only because I don't want to be tied to my business. Okay. My business is I sell things on Amazon. What I do currently is play a lot of golf (laughs) and I hang out with friends and my wife and yeah. Now, a little background. Mark has an FBA business called Wad Nation that sells CrossFit products like jump ropes and wrist straps. Last time you came on this pod, you said you were making $20,000 a month in profits. Correct. Do you want to update that figure? To be honest, the profit is slightly more, but not a ton more probably around 30,000, give or take. And really hasn't been that much of a growth, although the business is very different, right? I work a lot less on it. And that's sort of the direction I took the business was how do I optimize it and also optimize my life at the same time. So we're going to get into that, how Mark has evolved his business and so much more. In fact, there was so much of Mark's personal philosophy and story 
and business tips that made it into this interview that we decided to split the conversation into two shows, this week and next, with this first one focusing on the personal and professional circumstances that led Mark to leave what looked like a great life in the U.S. for the unknown. And big ups to Mark for sharing so openly some of the struggles that he's been through and I know many of us can identify with. So I'll swoop in at the end of this show to set up the next episode. But for now, I'm going to let him lay out where his story began. Before I moved out of the States, I lived in San Francisco for 17 years. And San Francisco is a great place, but it is a lot. You know, it is. It's intense. And in your late 20s, early 30s, that's great. But as I got older, I didn't see the value of San Francisco as much, uh, meaning that, you know, it's a very expensive place to live, obviously. If you're not taking advantage of the things that a big city like that has to offer, you're not going to clubs, you're not going to the newest restaurants, you know, you're just kind of hiding in your loft. You could do that anywhere. But you were earning big money, so you can't do that anywhere. I mean, I was earning big money. I think that's true at the time. I would say that was, that's how I thought. But if you're making $120,000 in San Francisco, it isn't all that much money. I had a nice place to live. I had a nice car. I had a motorcycle. I had stuff. But it wasn't like I had excess, a ton of excess. You, you know? didn't have net profit. I didn't have the net profit. You know, there were times when I had a credit card balance and you know, the normal American way of living. When I grew up in, in a small town in Wisconsin, the idea of making $125,000 was like, you've made it. Oh, yeah. But now looking back, and certainly now living in Chiang Mai and making more money than that, I realize how crazy it is to live. I would never move back to San Francisco, even at the current salary I'm making. Yeah. Because why would I do that? At some point when I made that decision, like, you know, this isn't really, I'm not seeing the value of being here as much as I did when I was younger. I guess the big question is, what's next? And how old were you when you started asking these questions? 40 years old, 41-ish. And I immediately started thinking outside the country, right? I wanted to explore the world, which I hadn't as much. You know, I did the typical two weeks a year travel. Yeah. And so I started just getting out of San Francisco and seeing how that felt. And so I first went to stay with my friend in Colorado, a small town above Boulder called Jamestown. And it was great. I enjoyed this, the, the peace and quiet. This is a strange thing for me. I still don't quite understand it. But living in San Francisco with all these people around you, I felt way more lonely when I wasn't around people than when I was alone in the mountains in Colorado, right? And I think it's just like, because I just had this FOMO, like, what's wrong? Like, why am I not in the mix, right? Whereas in, you know, when I'm up in the mountains, like, that was it. But that's interesting because you, you describe your life in San Francisco as being in the mix. I definitely obviously had friends and I had things to do. And, but still there was those times when you're like, you know, it's, oh, it's Friday night and I haven't made any plans. And like, what's wrong with me? I hate that. You hate that you felt that way. I hate that I felt that way. Yeah. And so I had that experience of being out of San Francisco and, you know, really enjoying walking the dog, taking a bike ride, having some time to think about myself and my life. And just a calm kind of came over me. That alone was like enough to say, okay, you know, maybe leaving San Francisco is the right decision. Now let's explore some more. I was very lucky in San Francisco. I had this split level loft, like the straight up like warehouse 
remodel that you know you'd sort of dream of when you're in the the big city. At the time, it was seventeen hundred dollars, which now is like it probably is five thousand dollars at least. I filled up that split level with stuff, you know, as we do. And so I came back from Colorado. I looked at everything. I'm like, well, what can I get rid of? And so I took off the just the very top layer of stuff, you know. And then I went to Nicaragua for a few months, and then I made the decision to finally pull the trigger and move. I sold as much as I could, but I also threw away a lot of stuff or gave away a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh, this was, this was so meaningful to me at one time, you know? Like, what do you give away? Like, what did I give away? You know, all the books I had, computers, stereo equipment, furniture, you know, all the stuff that just wasn't easy to sell. My car, you know, I donated it to charity when I left. And just watching this car, like, go away on the back of a trailer was just like, you know, this is really happening. So basically, I moved to the Philippines. Before you moved, were you telling people in your life about what you were doing and how were they responding? I would definitely wasn't a secret. I mean, in that time period of my life, I'd gone through lots of changes. You know, 2008, that was kind of the recession of San Francisco and kind of hit pretty hard there. And so I got laid off from my job, which was difficult. You know, you think you have a job and you're secure and then all of a sudden that's not the case anymore and you're in this expensive city and you don't have a ton of savings and, you know, you start to freak out. I did recover from that and, you know, hustled a bit and got some other things going, which also ended up giving me a bit of money to leave the country full time. So I you know, did a little, a small cash out of, of a startup. I also got sober during that time. So 10 years ago today, actually. <laughs> was my last drink. That's crazy. Congrats. That's crazy. Thank you. And so, you know, that's obviously a big change too. And I, I got sober in San Francisco, which is a very good place to get sober, by the way, because there's tons of great recovery there. So, you know, my life was making huge turns. How connected is sobriety with the entrepreneurship journey to you? I say this about sobriety. For me, it's never been a difficult journey because my life got better so much faster, so fast. I met my wife. I moved out of the country. I I started a business. All those things have become successful, you know, in different shades. And I think that my life before I got sober was very erratic. My mind was cloudy, especially for those, anybody who's like going through the tough times of the, the end of your drinking career, right? Or using career. Those last few years are just torture because you're just using more than you want. You want to quit and you can't. You're looking for ways to moderate that aren't working, right? It's just like you're in, you're in this freight train to, to the bottom. And when I came out of that and I found some good recovery and, and made some friends in, in those programs, my mind started to quiet down a lot. I definitely couldn't have left the country if I was still drinking and Why? using. When you are in that place of using drugs and alcohol to manage your emotions, there's a lot of fear. There's just a lot of fear. I and mean, that's, I think that for me is why I drank and used. What were you scared of? The world, life, everything. There isn't a clear answer to that. Afraid of not being enough, afraid of, oh man, it's really hard to put my finger on why does someone drink and use? I mean, obviously it's, it's a slow progression, you know? It's like, how did you get fat? Well, one pound at a time, you know? <laughs> I 
and also like how did you stop like well i stopped really quickly and and suddenly and i hit the fucking wall right if someone said well what is that fear about and and you know if you're anyone who's in recovery you know we talk about that that fear a lot and that fear is just the general anxiety of like i'm not enough or else it's like it's this ego thing it's both like i am the best and i am the worst is actually the same mentality the same feeling right because there are times when i would act like i'm god's gift to this job i'm god's gift to this girl and also at the same time i felt like i wasn't worthy right and so if you're living in those two places how can you really make smart decisions about the future of your life right you're just you're just trying to manage this insecurity on both sides how do you manage the fear now i did go through alcoholics anonymous for many many years and i learned a lot about myself going through that program a lot it was the most amazing experience to discover if you want to put it that way that I'm an alcoholic cuz it's not obvious when you're there you know it's only obvious when you quit to then very quickly fall into this group of people that support you and your issues and have had these issues and and know how to talk about these things in ways that you didn't understand yourself in the beginning yeah it's just like i can't even believe like that this thing is available to me for free. You know, all I have to do is share my experience and help other people. That program had helped me learn a lot about who I was and what my drivers were and how to minimize that. And the big one that we talk about a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous is ego, right? How to cut down your ego because that, that's sort of the root of all our issues. And so learning how to manage the ego and how to how to cut the ego down has been is going to always be my lifelong sort of progression even now like i look at things as insignificant as like facebook if ever i read a post that someone puts up and i think about making a comment i automatically think of like what is my purpose for writing this comment am i trying to be funny am i trying to be clever am i trying to have people comment on my comment right and i just end up not doing it because it just feeds my ego. It's just a bad thing for me. And this has sort of played into my life in a lot of ways. I think even in business, you know, it's very easy to think about how am I doing compared to someone else? Why is he more successful than I am? And one thing that, that we talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous is don't, the phrases, there's a lot, tons of phrases in Alcoholics Anonymous, <laughs> which is great because it works. <laughs> but they say, don't judge your insides by someone else's outsides, right? Which means, you know, don't think that someone has the perfect business because you don't know what's going on inside. You know, you know your business intimately. So you don't know that person's business intimately. And that goes for lots of things. It goes for people's relationships and the works. You know, just deal with yourself. Something I've been thinking about in the last year is how do I want to live my life? Not how do I want to grow my business? It's very easy in our community, in the Dynamite Circle, to talk about business. How's your business doing? What's your profit margin? What's your run rate? What's your landing page success, turnover, blah, 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 email subscription, <laughs> da, 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 you know? And for me, I have to be careful with that because it's all ego-based. It can be ego-based unless I'm doing it to help someone else do something on their business. And so in the last year, I've really been focused on what makes me happy outside of business, as well as continuing to run a successful business. Hey, what up, listeners? By now, you'll be well aware that we've had an amazing sponsor the last quarter of this year. His name is Travis Jamison. 
and he's the guy behind Smash Digital and Smash VC. His team has been sharing their years of tried and tested SEO experience with listeners of this show through their free mini audits. If you haven't gotten yours yet, head over to smashdigital.com slash TMBA. I thought it would be a good moment to give Travis a call and ask him why he decided to write us such a large sponsorship check. I grew up with the Tropical MBA. That's where I, I learned half the stuff I know. Like These are my people that I align with that I understand. Why did you guys decide to do free SEO audits for the TMBA listeners? Is this just a ruthless client generation tactic? So it's actually not. I think what we're doing mostly is showing that, hey, we really know what we're talking about. I would say 99% of anyone who's gotten an audit back, they're usually impressed with the amount of information, like usable information that we give them. Yeah, you did one for me. It was eye-opening to say the least. You guys are unique though in, I wouldn't call you necessarily thirsty for new clients. Do you know what I mean by that? Our long-term goal is to stop taking clients. Our long-term goal is to just work on our own internal projects and like partnerships that we've created over the years with different companies. Like sometimes clients get, you know, a nice ROI and everybody's happy. But then sometimes clients come in, we literally make them millions of dollars. And it just kind of seems silly to be charging a couple grand a month for that when we can be doing so much more for ourselves and being able to wrap ourselves completely around a project. You know, SEO is only one side of it. There's, there's so many other things besides SEO that really go into it. And our team has so many years of experience that it just makes sense to, to start doing that. We're on month three of you underwriting the show or being the sponsor. What's like the narrative that Smash Digital has about this campaign? Our entire brand is built on word of mouth. We haven't advertised until now. The company's like close to nine years old at this point. We felt like it was time to put ourselves out there a little bit. And we even gotten some people saying like, oh, you guys are still doing this? So we're just letting them know like, hey, we're still here. We're still crushing it. Doing the same stuff, only better and higher quality. The one and only Travis Jamison, everyone, of Smash Digital and, of course, Smash VC. Check out those aforementioned free SEO audits at smashdigital.com slash TMBA. So we left you in Jamestown, getting sober, starting to look outside of the country, and you landed in the Philippines. I landed in the Philippines, which is an odd decision in retrospect because I'd never been there. So here I was selling everything to move to a country I've never been to. Didn't know anybody. But for some reason at that time in my life, I just felt this courage. And I would tell people that, oh, I'm doing this thing. And so many people would say, oh, man, I don't have the courage to do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't leave this life that I'm in. And I couldn't leave the friends I've made. And I felt at that time, I felt very much like I was absolutely certain this was the right decision. I was just excited about it. I wanted to get on the ground and meet people and and make it happen. So I went to the Philippines. And to be quite honest, like the Philippines did not impress me at first. I went to a city called Cebu. And I'd been to other Southeast Asian countries, Vietnam, Indonesia, Cambodia. And they all have a very Asian feeling to them that, was, that I felt was missing in, in the Philippines, which is kind of one of the reasons I liked. I liked Asia because it's so different than America. 
it just feels foreign. Whereas the Philippines didn't really feel that foreign, it just felt kind of poor. And, you know, I've learned to really love some things about the Philippines, but when I first got there, I just wasn't into it. By the way, I have to in- interject. My favorite travel injunction about the Philippines comes、yes. straight from your wife. And she says, if you want to enjoy the Philippines, lower your expectations. Lower your expectations. But also change your expectations because it isn't the backpacker trail, it isn't the Southeast Asia gap year, you know, temples and banana pancakes and all that. It's, it's the Philippines, it's uniquely it. So you have to take it for what it is, you know. Luckily, my wife, who, who is a Filipino, you know, she did sort of coach me on how to appreciate things there. And lowering my expectations was a big one. <laughs> I remember when she said that the first time we were in a dive resort in Palawan, I believe. And, you know, the rooms were just a little bit dirty and not really well. The, the furniture was a little hard and uncomfortable. And she's like, yeah, man, just lower your expectations. It's cool. <laughs> and as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, what's my big deal? You know, and that works for other countries too, by the way. So, you moved to the Philippines with, with a kind of a bravery that your social circle at the time didn't share. Nobody shared. Nobody shared. Because when you're in that place, like, who else is going to sh- share that with you from your community? So, you are on your own, I think, when you make that decision, unless you have a significant other that wants to do that with you, which I didn't. But yet, like I said, I. Had that courage. Since I left Wisconsin and moved to San Francisco, I had that courage. Although I wasn't as courageous then, I was moving for a job, right? This time I was moving to I don't know what. It was partially a podcast that inspired you to move, is that right? No, and what inspired me to move was I subscribed to a magazine called International Living. It's generally for retirees, but they talked about all the sort of low cost, cool places to live, and the Philippines came up. And I thought, in my mind, I thought, It's going to be Thailand, except they speak English. The funny thing is, when I, when I finally did convince myself that my wife was going to be my long term partner, at least in the moment, I said, Hey, you know, I, I like you. I want this to work, but if it's going to work, we're not going to live in the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> when I moved to the Philippines and I realized I didn't like it, I got on Google and I said, Where do expats live in the Philippines? I thought I was just in the wrong city. Not that the country wasn't where I wanted to be. And the blog of Empire Flippers came up where Joe and Justin were talking about living in Davao, which is at the very bottom of the Philippines. I had come to the Philippines with a little side hustle of an AdSense, a couple AdSense websites. So I'm thinking, this is just weird that these Americans are living in the Philippines doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to go there and meet them. And at the time, for context, I think listeners are well aware of the Empire Flippers、uh, marketplace for buying and selling businesses. But at the time, they were called the AdSense Flippers. That's correct. And they were demonstrating on the internet how they were making money online by publishing a ton of just random niche sites、yeah. that, that were monetized through AdSense. Correct. And so you had a few of these niche sites as well. I did. And so the stars align on this Google search for you. You know, they sounded like people I wanted to hang out with. But I didn't also didn't want to be that creepy sort of dude that's like, hey, can I come hang out with you? So I, I, I sent them a message like, hey, I happen to be in your city, which I wasn't. We should meet up. We went there and had dinner and had some drinks and we partied and had a great time. And you thought, didn't party though. I didn't drink. 
I mean, I still party. This is the interesting thing about you. You party hard. Yeah, I don't drink, but I will stay up till six in the morning. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I don't even... The <laughs> I great, respect that about you. The great thing now is I've been sober long enough that I don't even think about it. So you party with these guys, you like them. And what happens next? I kind of moved down there. And so I just spent some more time there and got to know Justin and Joe. And, you know, those guys were just super welcoming to me. And Joe let me stay in his place for a while. And Justin let me stay in his place for a while. But, you know, still I wasn't convinced that the Philippines was it. And by the way, I have to earmark here. This is one of the things that makes it tough to turn your back on the international lifestyle. It's hard to imagine something like that happening in San Francisco. You meet people that are legitimate entrepreneurs, they're interesting people, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, stay in my spare bedroom. Totally. I think it's one thing that makes Chiang Mai so special, or really any place that has a lot of expats. My wife and I do travel quite a bit, and we'll go to countries we're just about to go to Israel and Turkey and a bunch of places over there. What makes Chiang Mai so special is the community. And when you're traveling, if you can find other expat people, you immediately have something in common. And in Chiang Mai, there's so many of us here that we all have something immediately in common. And where, you know, where is that the case in any city in the world? So you're in the Philippines, living in Justin's spare bedroom. Justin from the Empire Flippers. I will say, though, that when I got there, this is a story that needs to be told again if, if we didn't cover it the last time. Like, I got there and I met you in the coffee shop. I was having this sort of crisis of like, this isn't the place I want to be. This isn't what I expected. And I laid out to you like all the things I wanted and you just clearly said like, well, you're going to Bali and here's where you're going to stay and I'll even help you buy the ticket. And by the way, you, you, you're packed too much stuff. Go shed some things. And you, know, you basically laid it out to me like how to do this thing, this expat thing. So then I lived in Bali for a while. I really liked Bali and I thought Bali was going to be it. But in Bali, you, can, you only get a 60-day visa. So I just left Bali to renew my visa. I went back to the Philippines, hang out with Justin and Joe, then I met my wife. And she came to Bali and we thought, well, yeah, maybe she wants to live in Bali too with me. And I said, well, before we make that decision, let's do a little bit of travel. Let's go to Chiang Mai for three months and meet some more DCers. And then we'll move to Bali. And we just never left Chiang Mai after that. <laughs> I definitely made the right decision. Like Bali's not for me. And Chiang Mai really is for me and us. Bali is more sizzle. Chiang Mai is more steak. I mean, Bali is, is a great place to, to visit. It is a very special place. And anybody who hasn't been there should go there. There's a great culture there and great food. But, you know, some of the things I really wanted from my life was more calm. And Bali is a little bit more intense. Like there's more traffic and the, the roads are narrow and people are, you know, it's like a little more in your face. Whereas here I feel very calm and I like that. You have the couple AdSense sites. When did you feel like you were onto something from a business perspective? I got to the, to the Philippines with a few AdSense sites that were working for me and, and meeting then the AdSense flippers. I was the very first site they sold, third party site that they sold. Right. And so we started doing that together and I started building more sites and selling more sites with them. But I didn't ever really jive with the whole AdSense business model because, you know, if I want to be honest about it, what I was doing then, and maybe there's other ways to do it now that are successful, but, you know, I was basically creating junk 
websites in order to get people to click on ads to leave the website. The way I thought about it was like I was trying to trick Google Organic into sending me traffic so that I could send them off to Google Paid, right? Which just seems like this isn't a really long-term sustainable business that I can feel awesome about. So when I moved to Chiang Mai, I met a person here who's still here, Ben Brandis, who had started the Amazon FBA thing pretty early. And one of the things I did while I was doing the AdSense site was I started playing with Facebook a little bit more and building fan pages, kind of doing the same thing, but to drive maybe affiliate traffic or whatever through these fan pages. And Facebook was a lot different back then. Pages had a lot more power than they do now. So what I did was I picked three niches that I thought, okay, these are interesting. Nursing and tattoos and CrossFit, right? I think that's what they were. And I bought a little traffic to basically paid likes, right? If you like this, you like like this page. You know, mm-hmm. if you like CrossFit, like this page. If you love nursing, whatever, right? And the CrossFit one and the tattoo one actually built very cheaply. You know, likes were less than a penny a piece. But I couldn't find any way to monetize the tattoo one other than posting pictures of hot girls with tattoos, <laughs> which is fun, but it's no money in that. <laughs> and I really loved CrossFit, and the CrossFit one was taken off, and people were liking the page and having meaningful conversations there. And so when I got to Chiang Mai, my friend Ben, who saw the traction I had with this page, was like, well, dude, you need to start making CrossFit products. And I had always kind of wanted to do a CrossFit jump rope, was selling other people's jump ropes on the page. I'm like, he's like, yeah, you can make your own. I'm like, no way, you can't do that. And he kind of walked me through the process. And it wasn't until that I started selling that, I made my first $5,000 in a month that I really felt like, okay, this is a business I can get behind. And, you know, fast forward today, this is now five years I've been selling on Amazon. That jump rope is the number two best-selling jump rope on Amazon, right? Which is cool. Again, huge thanks to Mark for sharing some of his personal battles and where they led him. Next week, expect some business gold. Like I went in blissfully ignorant, you know, like I started with the $4,000 purchase of jump ropes. I soon realized that if you have a successful product, you have to be manufacturing product. You have to have that product on a ship. At the same time, you have to have product at Amazon. His thoughts about changing tack on your career towards midlife? I think being young is difficult. And I think a lot of people who, I went through something traumatic getting sober, right? And so that was sort of the obvious time for me to make a decision of what, what's okay, now what's next? For many people, it's divorce. But for those that aren't, that are just living in sort of an unhappy, unfulfilled life, that's really hard, you know? Like if there is no traumatic event for them to make a big change, you know, what's the other option just to keep trudging along? And that's... That's really sad. And why last year he almost sold his business. To be quite honest, I was afraid of not knowing how to continue to run my business. At the time, I felt like I got here by luck. I don't know how I'm going to continue to grow this thing or what to do with this thing. Let me just cash out and say goodbye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds 
of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.